Acts chapter 2. So, we talk about the church expanding, and we've talked about uh, the, the whole premise of this series is the church is not a, a building, but it's a uh, spiritual uh, living organism. But, you know, when you think about a building expansion, I mean, here's a p- picture of a building ex- expansion. I mean, you see the one, one, and then you see, you know, what happens to it uh, from there. And, um, you know, it's cool, it's exciting. I mean, if you add on to your house, if you expand in that way, uh, if, you know, a church, you know, if when we uh, hopefully, Lord willing, at some point in the future can, you know, build an expansion, that would be an exciting time. But ultimately, when we talk about the church expanding, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about people being saved, disciples being made. You know, the Bible puts it in Acts 9.31, the church being edified, which is built up spiritually, and the church being multiplied. That's really the goal of the church, to be edified, uh, to be multiplied. And then maybe you have to build a bigger physical facility as a result of that. But uh, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And this is kind of has been our anchor passage through this series. And just want to read two or three verses from there, and then we're going to look at some other verses in the book of Acts through the course of this message. But uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 40, it says, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice this, and it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the expansion of the church. The Lord adding to the church daily those who are being saved. You know, if a church is really growing, God is growing the church. But God grows the church through the church through the people of the church. Uh, he works through us. I mean, even you go back to the beginning of, of this section, which is really a summary of what had happened earlier in chapter 2, You know, when it says, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them being saved from this perverse generation. God worked through Peter as he proclaimed the gospel. Uh, you know, God's, the, the end is God saving people. The means is the proclamation of the gospel. The power is the Holy Spirit. But he was working through them, and he works through us. Um, so, you know, the big idea here is that the church expands as Jesus saves people. But in doing that, he's working through us. And so what I want us to think about is how does he work through us? How does he work through his church? His people, to save people, to, to, to build people up, to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, to, to grow His church, to call His people to Himself in the world. You know, what do we do with this locally and uh, around the world? And so, uh, when we think about how He works through us, I want to show you four ways, kind of His plan, I think, in the, in the, in the book of Acts, to work through His church to uh, save people and to build and to grow the church, both spiritually and numerically. Number one, I want us to see that Jesus gave the church a mission to perform. He, he gave the church a mission to perform. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and, and, and notice what he says. He says, therefore, when they come together, and, and, and this is after Jesus 
telling them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so when they, uh, you know, these original followers had come together with him, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In, in other words, they were wanting to have a prophecy conference. Uh, they were wanting to know, are you going to take over? Are you going to defeat our Roman oppressors? And are you going to rule and reign uh, in uh, Israel right now? In other words, they were looking for a political messiah. And, and this is still as re relevant today. A lot of people are looking for a, a political messiah. A lot of people want to have a prophecy conference right now. And notice what Jesus said to them. He said, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's our mission. The mission of the church is to be witnesses to Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. You understand that the Great Commission is stated in every gospel and stated again here in the book of Acts. It's not worded the same way every time, but the essence of it is the same. And so this is our mission. This is what the church has called us, has been called, what God has called the church uh, to do. And, and so I just want to make a couple points here. And then uh, Andy's going to come share testimony uh, about the trip. First point is this. Um, God always has a purpose and a design when he does things. And so the question would be, is why would this be our mission? And, and the answer would be, is the mission lines up with his ultimate purpose. And you say, what is his ultimate purpose? And it is... Revelation 7, 9, and 10, that people from every tribe and people and tongue and nation would worship the Lamb forever around the throne of God. That's why He sent us to the whole world, because He has people in the whole world that He's calling to Himself. That's, this is the end, to glorify Himself forever through saving people of every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. The means is the church going and proclaiming the gospel, so through the gospel, God will call His people to Himself. That is His only plan for the church. And so... We need to understand that anything that deviates from that is not of God. And I was reminded again in Uganda, you know, I've been to Honduras so many times, have a lot of relationships there, people I'm really, really close to there. But, uh, you know, God's people around the world connect in a way that you just can't accept. I mean, there's just a fellowship, a connection. We can be completely different, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a little taste of heaven. That's, that's just the reality. Second thing I would say is this. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of people see people posting things on Facebook and social media about uh, prophecy and about Russia in prophecy and about where all this fits right now. Okay, you've, probably, you've already seen that, right? And uh, 
does this fit in God's sovereign plan for the world? I'm sure it does. Everything does in some way. How? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't know either. (laughs) And the theological geniuses on Facebook definitely don't know either. I mean, how many times have people gotten egg on their face because they've, you know, taken some current event and tried to fit it into the Bible and, you know, this is going to happen and, um, you know, if you, if you believe, and, and this is like the third question you asked for it series, so we're going to talk about, uh, you know, prophecy and these kind of things and there's different perspectives on it. Uh, if you take a premillennial understanding of Scripture, uh, there's, it, it's probable that Ezekiel 38 and 39 refer to Russia. Now, it's not as definitive. I mean, I'm a premillennialist. It's not as definitive as some of my fellow premillennialists would say, but it probably refers to Russia. But does that refer to this particular instance? I don't know. But th- this is the point that I want to make. I-, I believe the return of Christ is imminent, which means it could happen at any time. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place in my understanding of what the Bible teaches, which may or may not even be right. I mean, this is a secondary issue. But here's the thing. If Jesus is coming back a thousand years from now, our mission is to make disciples of all the nations. If Jesus is coming back tomorrow, our mission is to make disciples of all the nations. And um, if you know, people are right, and this somehow plays into all this, and it's getting closer or whatever, shouldn't we be even more urgent about sharing the gospel and making as many disciples as we can until Jesus comes back? My point is this. I'm not trying to diminish studying the Bible or studying about prophecy or any of those kind of things, but, but the issue is not really the details of all of that. The issue is, are you ready for the return of Christ, and are you helping other people be ready for the return of Christ? This is our mission. Andy, come share.
take it. Thank you, Andy. All right, so we've got a mission to perform, but second, I want us to see that Jesus gave the church a message to proclaim. Uh, the message is at the heart of the mission. This is at the heart of the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts just over and over and over again, you see them proclaiming the gospel. Here's one representative passage, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Remember, they, uh, God had worked through Peter and John, healed a man, done a miracle. Uh, the religious leaders are getting upset about it. And so it says, and it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, uh, as well as Annas, the high priest, uh, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as it, and as many as, as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Then obviously talking about the name of Jesus. That's the message, that there's salvation in the name of Jesus. That Jesus was crucified, God raised him from the dead. He who was rejected is the chief cornerstone. And my question is, are you building your life on him? Are you trusting him? Uh, that's what it means to, to be a Christian, to trust Christ and Christ alone, to repent and, and, and surrender to him. And, and Jesus is the one message that we are to proclaim as a church. This is the good news of the gospel. But number three, and these two really go together, is that Jesus gave the church messengers to proclaim the gospel message. The question is, well, who? It's us. It's all of us. It's each of us. You understand, when you got saved, you became a missionary. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So if you're following him, you're either fishing or you're disobeying. And, and, and the reality is, it's, so, it's easy to get caught up in life, in our jobs, in our busyness. I'm guilty of this, even as a pastor sometimes. That, you know, we miss opportunities to share the gospel right in front of us. Uh, you know, on, on the last day we were there, we, we had to make about an eight-hour trip back, and we tried to cut some time off of it by taking a ferry ride across a big uh, lake, well, I mean, we, we, which we did, but it didn't save us any time. It probably cost us time. But we had a captive audience on the ferry and went around uh, giving out tracts and talking to people and saw five people make professions of faith just doing that. Um, you know, I was sitting beside a guy on one of the flights, on one of the 57 flights, it, it felt like, that, that we were on. But he was a Jewish Orthodox man, I mean, the, with the full regalia. So I thought, he's there. Let's see if I can engage him in conversation. And, um, you know, it's not like he got saved, but, I mean... You know, he's sitting there with his Hebrew Bible. Um, you know, 
I know the Old Testament, you know, I pretty much share the gospel with them just from the Old Testament. There's people around us all the time, but sometimes in our day-to-day lives, we lose sight of that fact. But uh, let's just remind us, you know, we've used this, you know, this slogan of who's your one. Well, who's your one? Who do you need to be intentional about? But at the same time, who do we need to be aware of that's around us? And, and understand the way that God expanded his church was just through the rank and file Regular, everyday Christians. You know how I know this? Let me just show you in the Bible. Look in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Context is, you know, chapter 7, Stephen's the first martyr. You know, he, he's, he was killed, uh, and it says that Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So who was scattered? Everyone except the apostles, okay? So that, that would be kind of like if we were under persecution in Jefferson City, and um, you've got to leave, but somehow like the, the, our elders, you know, pastors, uh, staff, you know, we go into hiding, we're still here, and then you guys scatter. And it, it says in verse 2, the devout men uh, carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. But then notice the people who were scattered, what they did. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Not the pastors. Everybody but the pastors. As they go, they're proclaiming Jesus. And it says, then Philip, one of these people who was scattered, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing, seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. It wasn't the pastors. It was the other people. But it didn't stop there. Because, let's kind of fast forward to Acts chapter 11. It says, Now those who were scattered... After the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now, who was that? Who was it? Sorry, it sounds like the teacher on Charlie Brown to me. Um, Okay, Stephen was stoned outside the city. They scattered except for who? The apostles, the pastors. So it's everybody else. And they're still going. It says they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, who were the Greek-speaking Jews. What were they doing? They were preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. How is... The Holy Spirit came to make you witnesses in Jerusalem. They had Jerusalem taken care of. They stopped there, though, so God sent persecution to scatter them. Now you got Judea, Samaria. Now they're going to the ends of the earth. In fact, it doesn't really stop there. We'll see this in, 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 in a minute. But uh, the church at Antioch is one of the great churches of the New Testament. 
And uh, the, the, as that church was planted and they established leaders, uh, their pastors sent out Saul and, and Paul and Barnabas on what's often called the first uh, missionary journey. I don't know if that's the best title for it. It's maybe the first intentional missionary journey because they had already completed this accidental missionary journey. And uh, people were saved, churches were planted. But when you read uh, a lot of the letters of the New Testament, like Ephesians and Galatians and Corinthians and Thessalonians, Colossians. I mean, these were churches that were planted out of this church in Antioch, which was planted by these people, not the pastors, not the apostles, sending these people out. We've said this forever at True Life, but you, we are the outreach program of True Life Church. It's us in our lives with the people around us. We are all called to be messengers of this message that we that God has entrusted us with. And if the mission is going to be fulfilled, it's going to come from all the messengers proclaiming the message. And how much we believe in the mission is evidenced by how much we proclaim the message. So who's your one? Who's in your life? Who's in your path? Who do you go to school with? Who do you live with? Who do you live around? Who do you work with? Who's in your family that needs to hear the message of the gospel? And then last, Jesus gave the church a methodology to practice. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, another version of the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So know that when we're... uh, trying to fulfill the mission, we're doing it in His authority. If we want the authority, the power of Christ in our lives and in the church, we're only going to experience it as we're fulfilling His mission. If we're out doing our own thing, we're on our own. Do you understand? Whatever sphere of life God places you into, whatever your career may be, at the end of the day, you're still a missionary. This is his ultimate calling and purpose for your life. And he wants to use you wherever you are. And so Jesus said, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So we're to go. There's proclamation. In a sense, it's organic. It's just the people who are in our lives. Here's some examples in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 10, 24, the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends for Peter to share the gospel with them. Acts 16, 13, Paul uh, and, and his companions are traveling. says, on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Uh, Acts 16.32, the Philippian jailer says they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. There's a Greek word called oikos, household. You have an oikos, you have a, a sphere, a circle. There are people in your influence that God wants to use you to help these people get to Jesus. That's the idea. So it's organic, but it's also uh, I- I- intentional. I don't have time to read this, but Acts 13, 1 through 3, like I said, is the, the, the pastors, the elders at Antioch were praying and fasting. God told them to send uh, Paul and Barnabas out on a missionary journey. And, you know, it's strategic. When you read the book of Acts, you see it went from the cities outward, but they went to where spiritually interested people were. If, they were, if it was Jews, they went to the synagogue. If it was Gentiles, like Acts 17, they went to Mars Hill where the philosophers gathered, or Paul uh, spoke 
spoke in, in a school. Just, they went and found spiritually interested people because if someone is spiritually interested, it means that God is working in their life because we're not naturally spiritually interested because we're dead in trespasses and, 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 and sins. So we as a church need to be looking for spiritually interested people. But, but ultimately, it was supernatural. It was supernatural. In Acts 10.44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. It was, it was bathed. It was founded in prayer. Listen, we, we appreciate everyone who prayed for us on this trip. Uh, this is one of these times where you could just tell that people were praying. But, but honestly, that's one of the things that I was convicted about in, 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 in going on this trip. I mean, there were times it's like, what am I even doing in ministry? I mean, uh, the young man that John mentioned, his name is Francis, who I'll, I'll say more about in, in just a minute. In, uh, uh, you know, in going and in considering, you know, planting this church in his home area. He spent a couple of months up there. And he spent three of those weeks in prayer and fasting. And that's not the exception there. That's the norm. How hungry are we to see God work? I mean, do we think that we can persuade people to change, that we can persuade people to receive Christ? Or do we need the supernatural power of God? I mean, who is it in your life that you're concerned about them going to hell? Who is it in your life that you're concerned uh, you know, just about them being away from God or about them struggling in life or their life falling apart? Are we broken enough to really pray for them? So there's proclamation, there's incorporation, that's the baptizing part, it, you know, incorporating people into the body of Christ. But then ultimately there's transformation, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. But what we need to see is the end result of all of this in the book of Acts, the end result of the fulfillment of the Great Commission is the planning of New Testament churches. Why do we make such an emphasis on that at, at, at True Life? Because healthy things reproduce. And healthy churches reproduce other churches. It is the pattern of the New Testament. Um, Aubrey Malfers has said this. He said, if we desire to know how the early church understood Christ's commission, we can find the answer in the book of Acts. Acts is a church planning book because much of what takes place does so in, in the context of starting new churches. You know, I, I tried to just lay this out for you. They were scattered. They went to Samaria, a church was planted there. They went beyond that, and a church was planted in Antioch. And then out of Antioch, churches were planted in Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Galatia, uh, Philippi, Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, and, and, and beyond that. Uh, the, the pattern here, and, and what we're called to do is to be disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And if we complete that mission, if we perform that mission by being messengers who proclaim the message, following the methodology that Jesus has given us, if we're making disciples who make disciples, then uh, the, the natural, really supernatural outgrowth of that is churches being planted. And so, I really believe when you look at the book of Acts and you see this as a pattern still for the church today, this is what we're called to do. And I, and I think churches get sidetracked with so many things. But I want us to focus on making the main thing 
the main thing. It's really not even the main thing. This is the thing. This is it. We're called to know Jesus and make him known. We're called to grow in him, to get closer to him, and then out of that, serve others, share the gospel with others. He wants to use us to make a difference in the world. So, what, what can that look like for each of us? So what I want to close with is just some steps that, that maybe you should take, at least one of these. First of all, I would say, if you don't know Jesus, I would settle that. You know, that's what this is about. We're not here to be religious. We're not, we're not here to go through some you know, religious rituals and that kind of thing. But the issue is, is Jesus the Son of God? Did he die for your sins? Did he rise from the dead? What do you believe? Are you really following him? I would encourage you to settle that. If you've not been baptized, Jesus' teaching about that is very clear. If you're saved, your next step is to publicly uh, confess Christ, to publicly acknowledge that you've been placed into Christ, that you've been placed into his body by believers' baptism, by immersion. I would encourage you to take that step. You know, fill out the connection card, either online or in person. Let us know that you're interested in that. Talk to, to one of us. Um, here's the third possibility for steps you can take. Maybe some of you, God's calling you to go to Honduras with us this summer. This is our next scheduled uh, mission trip. Maybe some of you have been on the, the, the fence with it. Um, maybe you have concerns. You know, you ought to have concerns. Uh, there's question marks. I mean, I've kind of my joke before this trip was uh, COVID, all the shots we got to take, all these international flights. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, but, you know, once we left, I mean, there were some things before we left. Once we left, nothing went wrong. So if God wants you to be somewhere, he'll get you somewhere and he'll get you back. If he's calling you to go, and I'm not trying to talk you into going, I'm just saying if he's calling you to go, Trust him with it. We've got a deadline with the airline this week. That's why I'm emphasizing it today. We've got maybe four or so slots left out of the 20. And so if you think you're supposed to be one of those four, uh, talk to John today. Or if you don't see John after the service, come see me or see Andy. Or if you let me know, I'll, I'll get you in touch with them. Um, here's another thing in, in regard to Uganda, okay? So it, it, the, really, the, the initial and, and, I guess, primary purpose of this trip, and we ended up being able to have opportunity to, to do ministry and that kind of thing, but initially it was really just to go to kind of meet people, to check things out, and, and, and to see uh, what else, if, if anything, that we felt like God had for us there. Because we said before, this really wasn't some kind of part, part of some kind of master plan. Uh, it's something we feel like God just opened a door for. Well, something else that was, but it, that's a lot of what we're praying for. God, show us if you have something else for us here. We believe God has more for us there. We believe he's working there. Uh, you know, the, the North American missionary that we're working with is one of the most impressive people that I've ever met in, in, in my life. And uh, it was a blessing to be with him and his family. And I think God's going to open lots of doors for ministry there. Uh, but, but the immediate one is this. We, we met someone, and, and again, this wasn't a part of the plan for the trip, but John uh, referenced him earlier. His name is Francis Ayumi. Uh, Francis grew up as a Muslim, was converted to Christ at some point, was rejected by his family, 
uh, has been trained uh, by Pastor Isaac, the North American missionary, considers him a spiritual father. He's successfully planted a couple of churches, but for the last seven years, he's been praying to go back uh, to his home area, which uh, we, we try to be vague sometimes because of putting things on the internet, so I'm not going to give you uh, a location. He's praying to go back to his home uh, area and to start a church there, and, and, and like I referenced, he, he's been up there for a couple months, he's come back to move his family there, Doesn't, didn't really have the resources just going by faith, but he went up there for a couple months, spent three weeks praying and fasting, and then he began to evangelize, he began to talk uh, to the, like the elders, like the chiefs, the sheiks in the area who actually gave him permission to meet. Uh, under a tree and you know build a little structure there if, if they want to do that but he said that he saw 35 professions of faith in that time uh, there not all of them Muslims but it's a predominantly Muslim area and um, uh, six of them are ready to be baptized he needs to go back there and so we feel like that this is the uh, you know, uh, initial thing that we're really supposed beyond what we're doing that we're supposed to plug into there. You know, we've been looking to work with unreached people groups. John uh, referenced there's unreached people groups even beyond where he's working uh, in, in his area. And, and really, we can get him started. And we're not talking about ongoing funding. We're going to do things in a way that doesn't set up dependency. Uh, but but we can help him get there and get started for really a, a, a small amount of money. And uh, our team actually on the trip, the seven of us, just kind of left over money that we had on the trip. Uh, we, we gave an offering before we left of $900. And, um, but, you know, usually we do things like this through the budget, but I really felt strongly that we, in, in coming back and talking about this, the church needed to have skin in the game. So we're going to ask you to give towards Uganda. I'm going to ask you to give today. You didn't come prepared to give today. But I'm going to ask you to give today, not to take away from your tithe, uh, that belongs to the local church. I'm asking you to give sacrificially above and beyond to help someone plant a church in an unreached, primarily Muslim area who is willing to just lay it all on the line, went there with nothing, is willing to go back with nothing except his young family, and, and to try to reach the people that he came from. Now listen, I know we've got concerns uh, right now about, you know, the economy and fuel prices and inflation and all that kind of thing. But at some point, are we willing to trust God? And are we willing to sacrifice and put our money where we say our mouth is when it comes to church and what we say is the mission of the gospel? Listen, uh, again, I'm not asking you to take your tithe. If you give your tithe to the church. If not, you're robbing God. Trust God with the first fruits of your life. I'm asking you to give sacrificially beyond that. For about $5,000, we can help him get started, plus do some other things that we need to do to expand what we're already doing in Uganda this year. That's a very small amount of money. We, we, we hardly ever talk about money at True Life. Really, we don't need to because so many of you apparently are just faithful to do what the Bible says and, and, and to be generous. I'm just saying I feel compelled in my spirit to challenge us today as a church to be sacrificial and see what God does with it. I'm saying some of you who are teenagers, you might have 10 bucks in your pocket. 
Make a sacrifice and see what God uh, does with it in your life. I promise you that you cannot outgive God. God calls us to be generous, and He honors us. Uh, he honors what we do when we are generous. But at the end, I'm not saying you give to get. I mean, it, but at some point, what are we willing to sacrifice? I mean, really, what are we willing to sacrifice? I mean, if somebody would do this. Can't we support him? So I would just challenge us to take that step. Now, there's one other thing before we go, and we'll close in prayer. But, uh, Ryan, where are you? Come up here. So, um, you know, we don't just do church planting overseas. Uh, we do church planting here locally. Uh, Andy, do you still have the microphone? And um, so one of our church plants in Morristown is New Creation Community Outreach Church. And you probably, come on up here, Ryan. Uh, you, you heard us share about uh, Jeff Davis, the church planter, stepping down. In God's providence, we had just uh, sent Ryan and Joy up there at the beginning of the year. Joy's there leading worship today. But, uh, you know, they've stepped up to give uh, leadership uh, to that church. And uh, God's using them. We're really proud of them, really thankful for them. And I think that transition has gone about as well as it could, given the circumstances. And Ryan's going to share a quick update, make an ask of you, and uh, then we'll close in prayer.
You see, Ryan's a real pastor now, using all his time. <laughs> um, I want to refine one word that he said, and just kind of, you know, again, say from our elders, we just basically gave him full fishing rights. If you feel called to go and be a part of a church plant, you have our blessing to go. <laughs> just, just let somebody know, but, but not to go, I'm going to change one word he said, not to attend, but to go serve to go help them, to go use your gifts to make a difference in, in helping them get planted. If, if this is something that God's calling you to do, I mean, we would encourage you uh, to do that. I encourage you to talk to Ryan. And, uh, but I just encourage you, um, I think just in hearing Ryan speak, you can hear, see his growth. Um, because you grow not when you're sitting in a seat. You grow when you're in the arena. You grow when you're in the battle. And that's what we're called to do. So pray about that as well. Pray about giving. Let, let's stand, and I, I know we're late, but uh, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. And can I, can I ask us, you know, I, I'll lead us since I'm up here with a microphone, but can we join together and, and pray for new creation? Can we pray for what we mentioned in Uganda? And uh, just pray that God would use us as individuals in the church in reaching people for Christ. Father, we thank you.